Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to New Human Living Radio Show, bringing you powerful interviews to awaken the power in you. Learn more at newhumanliving.com. And now your host, Les Jensen. Hello and welcome. Thanks for joining us tonight. I think we're in for a delightful episode. The topic tonight is Mind to Matter, and our guest tonight is Dr. Dawson Church. Mind to Matter is his latest book. It's a wonderful book. We're going to bring we're going to bring him on in just a minute, but I just want to noodle the notion just for a minute that somewhere in the back of your closet there's a superhero costume. There's a super superhero costume that that perhaps you haven't put on in a while. And and what I'm what I'm poking at here is the notion that um I don't know how many hundreds of episodes we've talked about the power of human consciousness on this radio show, but the idea that you, you the listener, me, and our guest tonight, that all human consciousness has this this root or this seed of potential that even with our mythology is rarely even honored in in a very pronounced way as far as what can we really do as a human being, a human persona, living in this uh, gravity swamp, this atomic soup, if you will? And I, I think the the journey to our truth has some unraveling to it where we kind of unprogram or deprogram ourselves from some of the perhaps the institutionalized perspectives that we were all raised in. And... And then there's this thing called permission, permission to believe that it's possible, permission in ourselves to believe that we're worthy of it. It's kind of a, a sovereignty or, a, or perhaps even a dominion over our own power. It, it's, it's very easy to see that humanity has been in this, this karmic pressure cooker, if you will, for a considerable amount of time. And the human heart is very, very hungry, very hungry for a new paradigm that honors the human element, that honors who we are as people. We've kind of been exploited to the hilt, and and the desire for a new paradigm is very pronounced, I would suggest. So how's that going to show up? I mean, is... It's quite clear no deity is going to come down from the sky and wave some magic quantum wand and turn it all on its head. That would have happened in the ugly of uglies, in the brutality of war or or the nuclear insanity we we touched up against. It's going to be through flesh and bones. Flesh and bones. It, it's through our human persona and perhaps rediscovering this inherent truth of who we are. But it takes it takes people to show up that actually believe that, that actually want to be a powerful presence for the for the transformation of our human condition, the transformation of our our mythology, if you will. And I think our heart's as big of a player in that as any part of our persona, 
But our consciousness, as we'll talk about tonight, our consciousness is this vehicle of change. And what I really love about tonight's guest, Dr. Dawson Church, is his his latest book, Mind the Matter, is such a delightful read, and he brings such a an easy pacing but powerful language to this notion that our mind has this this um, um, this magic, if you will, or this this pressure to believe that then our own power, our own ability to leverage our consciousness to affect the human paradigm goes up. So without further ado, let's get to it. His latest book, Mind to Matter, The Astonishing Science of How Your Brain Creates Material Reality. Every creation begins as a thought, from a symphony to a marriage, to an ice cream cone, to a rocket launch. When we have an intention, a complex change chain of events begins in our brains. Thoughts travel as electrical impulses along neural pathways. When neurons fire together, they wire together, creating electromagnetic fields. These fields are invisible energy, yet they influence the molecules of matter around us in a way in a way a magnet organizes iron filings. In this book, Mind to Matter, award-winning researcher Dr. Dawson Church, our guest tonight, explains the science showing how our minds create matter. Dr. Dawson is a PhD, an award-winning author for whose best-selling book, The Genie in Your Genes, was hailed by reviewers as a breakthrough in our understanding of the link between emotions and genetics. His follow-up title and the topic of the show tonight, Mind to Matter, reviews the science of peak mental states. He found he founded the National Institute for Integrative Healthcare to study and implement promising evidence-based science psychological, and medical techniques. Join me in welcoming Dr. Dawson Church to the show. Welcome to the show. Les, so good to be here. Thank you so much for sharing these ideas with your audience. It's it's my delight and my pleasure to have you on the show. First of all, great book. I really like this book. It's uh, it, it, It's such... It's got such a nice uh, mixture between um, easy reading, kind of it, it, it's it's really kind of fun to read, and yet the the principles and the power behind the message is very profound. What what brought you to write a book about the power of the mind and how it relates to matter? Well, it's quite a trick to combine these really remarkable scientific insights and ideas with analogies and examples that connect with ordinary people. And sometimes I'm reading papers that are way above my intellectual pay grade and then thinking, how do I take these Nobel Prize winning ideas or these extraordinary breakthroughs in epigenetics, in quantum physics, in other branches of science, how do I make these understandable to people? So with Mind to Matter, I wanted to do that. Every part of the book, Les, I really 
labored over. I really focused on. I wanted to make every single example I used understandable to the average human being. And like one of the, I've had hundreds of Amazon five-star reviews now as people have, have said all kinds of things. Like one, one lady just wrote in and said that she never understood the double slit experiment before. And we've all heard about the double slit experiment. We know it's important in quantum physics. We know it has to do with wave, wave and particle effects. And yet she never understood that before. And I, but again, I found an example. I, I, was, I was playing tennis one day and I suddenly realized, you know, I explain this because if I, think about a tennis racket and a tennis ball and dipping that tennis ball in paint and then hitting it up against a fence, suddenly I have a good analogy for the double slit experiment. So I, I use examples like that all the way through my books and I try and make them understandable and also tell the stories of human beings who use these techniques and then have radical shifts in their realities. So the book is full of, of clear analogies and also human stories, that are, stories of, of, of grief and loss and healing stories of uh, disaster and courage, real human beings who apply the kinds of techniques I, I recommend in the book and then, then break through. So I, I really wanted to, to explain the phenomenon of how a thought step by step by step by step, link by link by link by link in the, in the chain of scientific evidence between a thought and a thing. And I wanted to let people know what thoughts you can turn into things because obviously if i want to turn a thought like i'm thirsty i'm gonna have a glass of water well it's pretty easy to turn that into a thing and a glass of water you won't think i'm, I'm a great genius for doing that but uh some t like i can't roll back the clock and become 25 years old again i can't suddenly teleport myself to the top of the himalayas i can't uh imagine that i have uh, a huge uh battleship in my backyard and it's there so there are all kinds of things you you, ca you cannot do with your mind and I, so I, I try to give people a realistic picture in the book of what you can do with your mind, unless it turns out to be way more than we believed. Well, then, as a listener, I mean, um, how do I how do I begin to even wrap my brain around this idea that there's a, a bigger substance to me, a, a bigger potential in me that I might not be aware of? I mean. How do you go well, yeah. about making that kind of transformation? Well, I start with easy, easy, easy ideas. And I start with the way you make molecules in your body all the time. You are making enzymes, neurotransmitters, and hormones with every single thought. If you, for example, have a, a bad experience, just say, for example, you get a uh, a pink slip on your desk and you're, you're fired. It says you're fired. And you have this, I mean, it is just devastating to you. You wonder where you'll get the money from for the next month's mortgage payment. Um, you wonder what will happen to your wife and your kids. I mean, that, that, that single little piece of five by eight paper suddenly brings your world crashing down. You have this huge stress reaction. Now, if I take samples of your cortisol and adrenaline and examine them in the lab, also you have a huge cortisol spike, and that's just something caused by that, that pink slip. But if a week later you're sharing this with the story with your best friend of how you got unfairly fired, 
your cortisol is going to rise as well, just as though you really were getting fired at that moment. And that's okay for temporary situations. But what happens with people who are traumatized, and again, in our nonprofit work, we work with over 20,000 veterans, and we find that they're thinking about the pink slip, they're thinking about the, the landmine in Vietnam or Afghanistan. They're thinking about the, the death of people they love. They're thinking about the smells and horrors of war. They're thinking about those things every time, every time they they are they encounter uh, a trigger that makes them think about it again and so they're having flashbacks they're having nightmares and now you're having high high adrenaline high cortisol all the time and so in these these ways either in a temporary way or a permanent way we're we're recreating the biochemistry of stress in our bodies by thought we're actually making molecules in our bodies by thought and what happens in the case of people who are traumatized if you are having that thought go through your mind of trauma, of the bomb blast, of the car crash, whatever it was, over and over and over again, the old uh, adage in, in neurology is that neurons that fire together, wire together, and they do. And so those parts of your brain start to get bigger and better at conducting signals than they were before. And so if this is something, if this phenomenon of neural plasticity, if you're using this phenomenon to learn a new language, learn to drive a new vehicle, if you're in a new city and finding your way around, if you have a new relationship, learning a new job, any of these things is a way which we use neural plasticity to learn a new skill and use that firing and wiring of new neural pathways in our brains in a positive way. But if you're obsessing about getting fired, about your job, about your spouse, about the government, about the world, about your body, then you're generating stress and you're doing so in the absence of any real threat and that's negative neuroplasticity. You're now making those parts of your brain bigger and stronger. And the, the poster child for this in Chapter 1 of my book, Mind to Matter, is a, an astrophysicist called Graham Phillips. And when I read this case history, Les, I, I literally... I it, it took me probably two or three weeks just to let this number I'm going to share with you now sink in. So this guy was, uh, he, even though he had a degree in astrophysics, he worked as a TV journalist in Australia. And he has a TV show called Catalyst, and he does all of these reports on different phenomena. So it's an Australian weekly news show. And he was kind of a rugged, rough guy, very sharp, brilliant guy, but you know, not, not, a, not a terribly nice guy. And he, he learned about the benefits of meditation, and he thought, I'm, I'm going to try meditation, even though he was kind of skeptical about its benefits. So he went on an eight-week meditation and mindfulness journey. But before he did that, he went into a university, I've spoken at actually in, in Australia, called Monash University, and he got himself tested. And uh, a bio, biological psychologist called Richard Chambers gave him a comprehensive battery of tests. And then this included... Uh, looking at his brain and measuring the size of each part of his brain. And so very, very detailed physical examination of Graham Phillips before he began meditating and then afterwards, eight weeks later. And the, the researchers found that after just a couple of weeks, he was much calmer, he was much less stressed, he was much less reactive to those external stimuli from the outside world. But when they got him back into Monash University after eight weeks and ran the same test, put him back in an MRI machine and measured the volume of tissue in different parts of his brain, 
They found his brain had changed in some regions by 2%, 3%, 4% in just eight weeks. But the part of his brain that had grown the most was a part of the emotional brain called the dentate gyrus. And the dentate gyrus is responsible for coordinating emotional regulation among different parts of the brain. So when you hear a loud noise, you don't have a big startled response. When somebody insults you, you stay calm and you think and you make a measured reply. So emotional regulation is really critical to our ability to not overreact to stressors around us. And his dentate gyrus, Les, in eight weeks grew by 22.8%, okay? It's almost, a, it's almost a quarter bigger after just eight weeks of consciousness. So now we see that your mind, your consciousness, isn't just producing those molecules like cortisol and adrenaline. It's producing the reality of the hardwiring of your brain, and it's not doing so in over the course of just a year, two years, five years of these calming practices. You're using your consciousness in certain ways, like being calm, like meditation. I have 30 different practices in the book that I share with people, but in, in chapter one, I share the story of Graham Phillips and doing mindfulness meditation, and his dentate gyrus grew by 22.8%. So now you have a huge change in your brain, and now you are resilient. You know how to deal with the stressors of life, and you have a much calmer and happier life. So I begin the book with these really easy examples that I show that they, they may be simple, maybe intuitive and obvious, that we do make molecules like adrenaline and cortisol. We do make neurons in our brains, but we're doing so at an astonishingly large effect, uh, fast pace. And then later in the book, I go to how we, we change molecules in the outside world around us as well. But just the, the superpower we have, the miracle we have of actually changing our internal biology and neurology by thought alone. You know, Les, when I read this research and I present these studies in Mind to Matter, I mean, the, the, the scale of the effects is absolutely stunning. So when you talk about um, uh, that example, and through meditation, he was able to uh, get much more skilled with managing his emotions. I mean, we had been talking about uh, war vets that were emotionally attached, and, and the point I want to get at is repetitive patterning, repetitive uh, cycling of their of their feelings and their thoughts and their beliefs and then and we even mentioned um, people looking at events outside of them today so you turn on social media or you turn on um, the news and you're and you get stimulated with um, emotional triggers and if you don't have um, the emotional wherewithal to to put uh, your emotions um, um, to rest and, and you stay in that emotional repetitive patterning, you're literally growing aspects of your brain, if I'm understanding this right, and those, and those aspects of your brain are the vehicle of creation itself. So when you, when you're, when you fall into a repetitive pattern, God, I... I can't stand that politician, and every time you see him on the news, you get upset, and and your your emotions pop up, and that repetition, you've, your reaction, 
creates the same results, you're literally disconnecting from your opportunity to create something new. Is that is that right? You are. You're disconnecting from your opportunity to create something new. It's very well put. And the the more you do that, the more you make that not just a state but a trait. And so in the book I talk about how to turn positive states into positive traits. Now, a state is a temporary state. Getting upset or angry is a state you're in. But if you have a habit of getting upset or angry, you turn that state into a trait. Now you're an angry person. Anger becomes your, your new normal because now you've built the neural wiring. Your body is very sensitive to cortisol and adrenaline, and so you now can, can call up that angry response really quickly. But if you calm yourself, if you do what Graham Phillips did, if you use these 30 practices that I, I share with you in Mind to Matter, then you start to have the opposite effect, and you start to turn those states of feeling good. So I, I sit in meditation in the morning. Personally, I meditate every day. I just love meditating. And I give you a very simple way of doing that in the book, very simple way of meditation. So you, you calm yourself. Now you, you feel good. So day one, day two, day 20, day 50, day 80, you feel good. That's a state. It's a good, good feeling state. But after a while, you start to turn that state into a trait. Now you're sparking neurogenesis in those parts of your brain that handle emotional regulation. So now when you have the difficult situation, the financial crash, you have a big life disruption, you're, you're basically a calm person. You have a, a trait of calmness. You're far better equipped to handle your, your life. And, you know, some of the research, again, I, I, I have about 400 studies that I review in Mind Matter, but just one of them is, is a mind blower. It showed that people who are optimists live, on average, eight years longer than pessimists. So, and again, there are dozens of studies that show very similar things. So if I am taking a happy approach to life, it doesn't just make me feel good in the present moment, just day by day I feel better and have a higher quality of life. I have eight more years after I retire to play with my grandchildren, travel the world, knock things off my bucket list, take care of whatever I, I love doing, be, do my hobbies, be with people I love. You get eight years more of that as a, as a consequence, as a side effect of being positive and optimistic. So it is so important, so, so worthwhile to cultivate these not just as transient states but as long-term traits. So uh, the, the, the payoff in terms of health, longevity, well-being, quality of life is enormous. And I have, I have dozens of studies in, uh, in the book on this. I'll share one with you, actually. This is one that just happened recently. And this is a friend of mine called, called Beth, and she's coming out of the book about that. That's why I can, t I can mention her name. She's coming out of the book about her experiences. But she was diagnosed with cancer, with breast cancer. And she eventually, she, in the hospital, they measured a large lump in her right breast, and it was five centimeters across, which tr translates into two inches. So this is a big, solid tumor in her right breast. Not only that, they found that all of the lymph nodes under her right arm, armpit, were all swollen and inflamed with cancer cells. So now that's bad news because now once cancer breaks out of the primary tumor into your bloodstream or into your lymph nodes, then it can circulate all over your body. And indeed, they then began to look for it elsewhere in her body, and they found three spots of inflammation on her right lung. So now this is 
really bad news. It looks as though the breast cancer has turned into lymph cancer, has turned into lung cancer. Okay, so this is this is a, such a serious prognosis. When the oncologist gave Beth the diagnosis, the oncologist said to her, Beth, I want you to go to radiology to start radiation treatments. And normally we want you to start next week. I want you to go, Beth, straight from my office to radiology today for your first treatment. It's that serious. And Beth very courageously said, you know, I, I don't want to do that. I want, I want to have time, time to think. And her, her wonderful oncologist supported her in getting another diagnosis and really weighing her options. And Beth, Beth said to herself, you know, what can I do with energy? How can I change the energy of my life, the energy of my physical reality? She also phoned me, and she said, you know, I'm really pretty panicked. I've had a gene test, and it shows I have eight defective genes, which predispose me to breast cancer. And I said, Beth, guess what? You have 24,000 genes that are perfectly okay. Let's start with those. So we again engaged a sense of optimism. And over the next, just quickly over the next few days, Les, she changed her life. She quit turning off all the alerts on her phone and her computer. She quit listening to the news, all that bad news you were talking about earlier. She um, resigned from some projects that had been causing her stress with her deadlines. She cleaned up her diet. She began to, she upped her exercise. And she, most importantly of all, she cleaned up her thinking, cleaned up her thoughts. She also did qigong. She used energy medicine techniques that I describe in the book. And she got the diagnosis Again, the serious diagnosis in March. Eight weeks later in May, she went back to the cancer clinic, got another scan, and her lymph nodes were clear. There was not a trace of cancer in the lymph nodes under her right arm. Also, the tumor had shrunk from 5 centimeters to 1.4 centimeters. That's about, uh, about, a little, about three-fifths of an inch. So it shrunk from two inches to three-fifths of an inch in diameter, and one of her doctors said, you know, I think this thing is actually dead. Your body is just disposing of all those, those, those cells. And so she went on just doing energy. Now, she, again, she did no conventional treatment. All she focused on was energy. With her consciousness, she shifted things. And soon the lump was gone completely, and her blood test showed that she was cancer-free, and she slurs today. So this is one of those amazing examples of mind to matter. We change our minds, and we're literally shifting our body into rapid healing mode, and we see the effects in our bodies. So that, that's why those studies show that optimists, people who are happy, people who are cheerful, people who are compassionate, they live much longer lives, much healthier than those who aren't. And these are the ways in which our mind is directly affecting the matter of our bodies. Well, that's, that's, I, I love that. So, well, I know one of your more prominent arenas of research is epigenetics, and um, if this example, if she had looked at her family history, there might have been, and I, I'm, I'm, I don't know, but um, oftentimes there's a, a family trait of cardiac issues, there's a family trait of um, um, particular diseases, and, and we, talk yep. them, we talk them up to genetics, but epigenetics is is uh, a, a relatively new field that talks about how our consciousness influences our genetics would you could you imagine that um, she might have because we've talked on the show many times about the the family of origin dynamics 
So the day you were born, you didn't have an ego. Zippo, none, zilch. And in your family dynamics, they started teaching you about symbols. This is a chair. This is a, um, a door. This is a Bible. And then they told you the value of the symbols and literally uh, built from scratch your, your belief system if indeed um, we tag these, uh, quote, uh, genetic diseases as a hereditary thing, could it be that it was hereditary not through the genetics but through the family dynamics? What happens is that we all have a genetic hand which we're dealt. In my book, The Gene in Your Genes, I talk about this a lot, that it's not which genes you have that counts nearly as much as which genes are expressed. And so certain genes, you may have those genes, like you may have the gene that predisposes you to Alzheimer's or to heart disease or to diabetes. Um, but it's not whether you have the gene that is the most important thing. The most important thing is, is that gene turned on? Is that gene turned off? And in one study, one stunning study published in my journal, Energy Psychology, the researcher gave people uh, acupressure sessions. This technique is called EFT, Emotional Freedom Techniques, or tapping for short, because you, you tap with your fingertips on these acupuncture points and activate your acupuncture meridians. And um, in a one-hour session, she measured gene expression before and after that hour of tapping. And she found that just an hour of tapping turned on 72 genes, including genes that upregulate your metabolism including genes that strengthen the neural circuits in your brain to do with memory and attention and learning, genes that repair damaged DNA strands. She found that genes that suppress esophageal cancer and colon cancer and breast cancer and prostate cancer were all turned on, genes that suppress these cancers and genes that suppress inflammation, genes that protect your son your, your, your skin from the sun's ultraviolet rays. All of those things turned on in one hour of this energy therapy. So what you're doing is you're literally shifting your gene expression. So, yeah, sure, you may have that gene, and we all have a mixed bag of genes, genes to predispose us. Just for example, there, there's, um, there's a gene called the apogene, apo, apogene, and some people with a certain kind of apogene have a 94% chance of, catching of getting Alzheimer's. People with another kind of apogene have a 75% chance of having heart disease. And so there are all these genes that are there, but are they turned on or are they turned off? And a lot of the bad genes, a lot of the genes that predispose us to cancer and Alzheimer's and heart disease, they are linked to stress. There are little receptor sites on the, on the cell membranes of some cancer sites for adrenaline. When you have adrenaline, you're literally feeding cancer. You're literally, when you have high stress levels and causing a surge in adrenaline, it's literally nourishing the cancer cells that have those receptor sites on their cell membranes. So we are, you know, we, we think it happens to us, but it doesn't. We happen to it. We have a huge impact on our lives and the quality of our lives purely by the thoughts we think and the quality of our consciousness. And that's completely under our control. Well, I like that. Um, it, you know, it, it really takes a, a, a change within ourselves, uh, perhaps our beliefs. I mean, because um, 
in general, the rank and file of humanity, if you will, is um, they spend one day very similar to the next where they have this expectation of life to be like this flatline experience. This is who I am. This is my condition. There's not much I can do about it. But to turn around and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, this is all pliable. This is all uh, malleable by my own intention. Uh When when we look at the brain as a vehicle for this, um, now one way to register what the brain is doing is through looking at the brain waves and the different states of consciousness. Tell us a little about um, the brain states of consciousness and how it reflects um, on our own condition. Yeah, that was a really interesting part of the book. And I had several really original scientific ideas as I was talking to colleagues and reading this research and looking into how mind does affect matter. And um, in that chapter of the book, I talk about something called coherence having coherent consciousness. And I put two EEGs side by side. I show you what the EEG of a coherent person looks like and an incoherent person looks like. So incoherent uh, EEGs, the waves are jumping all over the place. Coherent brain function, all the brain waves are marching together. And the analogy I use there, because again, I try and find analogies, Les, that really make sense for people, is I talk about light. And if you have a 60-watt light bulb, that light is just shooting off in all directions, not coherent, but it's pretty good. It'll illuminate your room. If you put a 60-watt light bulb in your light socket and turn it on, your room is light at night. So 60 watts really works. It's effective even if it's not coherent. If you take that 60 watts and rather than scattering the light in random directions the way the light bulb does, if you put that light in phase, so all the light particles and waves are in phase together, if they're these waves that are completely synchronized, if, you, if they are in coherence, that then becomes a kind of light called a laser. And that laser beam, that same 60 watts, can cut through a sheet of steel. Okay? That's the difference between coherent and incoherent light, and that's the difference between incoherent and coherent thought. If you meet somebody who's highly coherent, they're able to manifest, they're able to do things, they're able to meet their goals, they're able to take care of themselves, regulate their emotions. And so mental coherence is really powerful. And I have a bunch of graphs in the book, and I show you how we analyze people's brain function. And many people, are, most people actually, are wildly non-coherent. They're just thinking random thoughts. They're letting themselves be influenced by the media, by random events around them. They aren't living deliberately. When you live deliberately, when you come into coherent mind, you can affect the world around you. And there are some stunning examples in the book of people's ability to literally affect the world around them. One series, for example, of studies of water show that people who hold intentions, hold positive intentions as they hold their hands around water, so they're, they're saying a healing prayer or they're holding healing intentions as they hold their hands around water, they literally change the bonding angle of the molecules in that water. If you take that water and water plants with it, the plants that get the water that's been intended for, those plants grow faster and stronger and higher than those that aren't. So we're literally shifting molecules of water by our intentions, and our bodies are 
70% water. So here you are shifting our bodies just by our intentions. But the cool thing about our intentions and our brain function is it starts to affect the world around us. In one series of experiments by a professor called Bernard Kroplin in Stuttgart, Germany, and I'll be in Stuttgart actually lecturing in about two weeks. And uh, so this series of experiments, he had graduate students take uh, a syringe and make little drops of water on a microscope slide. He then dried them out, and he looked at the crystallization patterns in the water. And if student A made 20 drops, all 20 drops made by that student crystallized just the same. But they crystallized completely differently from 20 drops of identical water made by another student. And the drops of water made by those students were as different from each other as their fingerprints were. We have a fingerprint that imprints itself on the water passing through our energy field. And so we're literally shifting these molecules of water by coherent mind or incoherent mind, coherent thought or incoherent thought. And so uh, research shows that people can make dramatic shifts to water, also DNA. Another, sub, another uh, series of experiments, the researchers put DNA in a flask and said to people, volunteers, we want you to change the bonding angle of the DNA. And uh, they couldn't. No, there's no change in the bonding angle. But if those people went into coherence, into heart coherence, into mental coherence, and got all those, all those brain waves marching in step, the DNA changed. So it was powerful to see that this effect persisted when people were able to be in, in, in coherence. They were literally able to change the DNA molecule when they were coherent. Other research shows we can change things like the rate of atomic decay. We can change things like the, um, the, the, the photons and electrons and whether they're, they're, they're waves or particles that we measure in experiments like the double slit experiment. So we are literally shifting. I mean, it, it seems, even as I'm saying it now, Les, I'm, I'm like, I, I can't even believe what I'm saying here. Because I, 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 as I read the science and, and wrote the book, I was absolutely flabbergasted that human consciousness alone can shift gravity, electromagnetism, the strong and weak nuclear force, water, all of these molecules around our bodies are changing as purely as we change our consciousness and change our thinking. Well, it, it sounds like um, when we're engaged in repetitive emotional reactions, when we when we watch the media or any source, any emotional trigger, really, over and over and over again, we're pretty much disconnecting from our from our really authentic power, if you will. And I really like how you've taken this into the physical world outside of us. To and and that's kind of what I was hinting at in, when with the introduction of the show is to see ourselves as as citizens or uh, points of presence of consciousness. We we all have this consciousness, this eternal stream of consciousness in our persona, and this conversation tonight is really demonstrated that it's a very powerful substance. And, and the way to waste it is to look at something outside of you and, and drop into an emotional reactive patterning, but to turn around and take your intent, like, like they were doing with the water, taking your intent and with that focus, that coherence, um, 
within your own consciousness, you're still projecting out into the world. Um, what wasn't there an example about um, a teen whose uh, airplane flight for peace had changed the fate of superpowers? Oh, that was a powerful example. His name was Matthias Rust, and um, he in 19, I think 88, uh, he was very concerned by the collapse of talks between Ronald Reagan and Mikhail Gorbachev in Iceland, Reykjavik, Iceland, and he was a teenager. He was going to fly a little plane called the Cessna 172, and he, came, he had this crazy idea that he would, he would make a flight for peace. And so he took off from his, uh, his home airport in West Germany, and he flew across East Germany and into Soviet airspace. And this is, this, is, this is a time when you had these two superpowers highly militarized, on the, you know, just a hair, hair trigger away from nuclear war. And, I mean, with, with these heavily fortified uh, borders between the Warsaw Pact and NATO. And here this, this kid flew his Cessna 172 right into Soviet airspace, and he eventually landed on Red Square. And the story uh, that I tell in the book of the flight is how many synchronicities had to happen for that to occur. And there were all kinds of things that, that happened. Like when he crossed the border, uh, he was immediately spotted by, by Soviet fighters. But then a cloud bank came, came around, so he flew into the clouds and they lost him. Then they spotted him again, but uh, the Soviet MiG pilot misidentified him as uh, a yak uh, Soviet training plane. They said, no, it's not, it's not. He turned his transponder off, too, so they didn't know what he, what he was. So as you look at the story in detail, like even where he landed, he landed on a tramway in Red Square. Now, if you've been to Red Square in, in Moscow, you'll know that it's crisscrossed by electrical lines and telephone poles, telephone lines and tram lines. How could he land a plane there with all these, these wires overhead? Well, it turned out that the day before, the tram lines had been taken down for repair, leaving a spot just big enough for him to land his Cessna on. Um, another, the, the, the landing was captured on, on film by uh, a, a, a doctor from England, and he just had this, this sudden urge to go outside and take his video camera, and he, 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 he was there just in time to capture the landing. There were all these synchronicities around, around that flight, and as a result of that, that flight, it, it so embarrassed the, uh, the Soviet high command that a teenager in a civilian plane could fly into the most heavily defended zone in the world and get away with it, that, um, that, that it, led, it, led, it indirectly led to many of the, the political changes in the Soviet Union. So uh, we have no idea what our actions could cause, and there were synchronicities happening around us all the time. So I begin the book in Chapter 1 with, with synchronicity stories, and I thought when I wrote the chapter on synchronicity, I'd be telling a lot of great stories like Matthias Rust. What I found, though, Les, was that there's science behind synchronicity, and that you look at, at some of the, the evidence that's coming out now, for example, in terms of the, um, the reflection of huge cosmic cycles like those that cause solar flares. We don't really know what causes solar flares. We know that there are solar flares. Our sun puts out these huge bursts of plasma. And we can map these, and these have been understood and actually measured now for a couple of centuries. We know what was happening in terms of, of, of solar, solar flares, solar activity. It turns out that solar activity correlates to 
big mass events in history, like wars, like the start and end of cultural revolutions, like big battles within wars, and in one of the most stunning experiments, I actually get to get, get special permission from the scientists involved to publish this in my book, Mind to Matter, because um, they hadn't yet published their work. Now they're publishing it, and it's starting to come out in detail. But they, they were hooking people up who were coherent. Earlier <clears throat> I mentioned mental coherence, heart coherence. They were hooking people up for 30-day periods who were coherent. And they were measuring, they were plotting the rise and fall of their coherence patterns over a 30-day period. And in one of the most stunning graphs in the book, again, published, published in the book before it appeared in a peer-reviewed journal, um, I showed a graph that plotted this sunspot activity over the course of 30 days and the electromagnetic changes it produces in the Earth's field with one person in coherence for a month and the two graphs match. In other words, this person is in touch with these cosmic, these universal-sized cycles when they're in, in coherence. And so I, I, the, the, the amazing finding of mind to matter is when we are, I talk about non-local mind, when we're able to surrender our fixation with being the little limited people we are, when we meditate, when we tap, when we do the other 30 things I recommend in the book, we do these practices, we literally can loosen our hold on material reality as we know it, become one with non-local mind and these huge cosmic cycles. Then our intentions have power, our lives have meaning, our energy is aligned with these big cycles. We have huge amounts of intention. We have huge amounts of energy behind what we do. We're no longer little tiny people trying to figure things out. We are one with the universe, one with the cosmos. And when you do that in meditation, you live a life of meaning, of power, of creativity. In some of the research I quote, there are people in the state, their creativity more than doubles. Their problem-solving ability goes up by 260%. Their productivity goes up. All kinds of, of, of metrics happen when they're in this flow state, when they're one with the universe. So it's powerful to, to learn these skills, to be in that state and live your life one with all, rather than, you know, rather than just as some little limited human, discon, dis, disconnected, uh, desynchronized, um, incoherent mind. It, it, it's, that's, that's a miserable, limited existence. You want to reach for being that person you can be when you're fully in tune with those cosmic rhythms and empowered by being one with this big sense of reality that we all are, in fact, one with. Well, I like that. The, you know, the, you talk about the coherence of your consciousness being a, a, an amplification of effect, if you will, that when you're in coherence, your intentions are, are much more powerful. And then... And then you look at the uh, um, how our our thoughts manifest, and how the the vets of war would sit there and and focus on the the fear of the the war arena. Um, it, it brings to mind uh, Mother Teresa's statement that said, uh, "If you're going to throw a rally against war, I don't want to be there. But if you're going to throw a rally," For peace, well, I'm all in. In so, in other words, <laughs> focus on what you want because whatever you put your attention on, and based on the level of coherence that you have, 
you, you will certainly influence it whether your your um, ego mind can recognize the influence or not. The influence seems to always be there. Yes, it is always there. The big variable is, are you hooked up to it or not? And the best way I know to hook up with it is meditation. So in the book, I, I talk about a method called eco-meditation, which I developed over the last few years, which is a super simple way of meditating, but that brings you into coherence in just a few seconds. And I've literally done this with groups of people who have a hard time meditating. And within you know, three to five minutes, they're in deep meditation using these methods. Tapping is good. Time in nature is good. Grounding is good. Earthing is good. Uh, reading positive materials, positive media is good. Contemplation is good. Quiet time is good. Breathing is good. Body-centered activities like yoga and qigong are good. So whatever floats to your boat, whatever brings you into that place of connection is going to have this effect. And it's not doing one particular thing that's going to do it for everyone, but find what, what's your thing. What really brings you into that, that space of connection and live from that space? Because, you know, like I wake up every morning, Les, and I meditate, I tap, I tune in, I usually journal, and I, I go from being this kind of little lost human being brain trying to figure out life to being inspired, being so absolutely passionate and infused with, with joy, with creativity, with a sense of meaning and purpose to my life. So meditation puts you there so fast and do it for, you know, for six months, for a year, practice it, gradually you develop those strong traits of calmness and you become a far more creative person. So I, I, what I want to do with, with Mind Matter is inspire people to take action, to use one or more of those 30 methods in the, in the book and actually apply them in their lives and see the shifts in their bodies. And they'll, they'll literally see things start to change, whether it's in their, their money lives, in their careers, in their relationships, in their spirituality, in their health. All of these things start to change when you anchor yourself in that sense of being one with that huge benevolent universal reality we all live in. Well, I like that. Well, you know, time can go by pretty fast. We have about five minutes left of conversation. Um, in Mind to Matter, you describe the state of flow that elite athletes and high performers are able to enter. What is, what is this flow that you're talking about? Yeah, flow is a state that has been studied and um, observed and described since the 1960s. And uh, flow is that effortless state where everything is just working. It just naturally seems to be working for you. And so you enter that state. Everyone's been in that state. Maybe we were in that state taking a walk in nature. Maybe we were in, in that state making love. Maybe we were in that flow state when we were uh, running or doing exercise. Maybe you were in church or in a place of worship and you just got transported into this other, other plane. Uh, these are the called anomalous states in, in research, but it, it's, it's really a misnomer because it turns out most people have these flow states and they have them occasionally. But what I, I show is that you can actually learn to induce this flow. And it used to be mysterious, like, wow, that athlete's really in flow, this athlete isn't in flow, and what's the difference between them? And it turns out that there's a signature brainwave of flow. And in the book, I show you what it is. It's called the awakened mind-brain pattern. And when you're in the awakened mind-brain pattern, you're in flow. And the encouraging thing is, now that we understand the brain patterns that accompany flow, 
we can actually train people to get into flow at will. So it's no longer just a happy accident that sometimes you're in flow. You wake up in the morning, you put yourself in flow. If, if bad things happen during the day to take you out of flow, you put yourself back in again. So uh, these flow states are, are really powerful, and it turns out we can induce them. And these are the states, <clears throat> states in which our creativity, our productivity, and our problem-solving ability just soars. So uh, a lot of the book is to do with putting yourself into those flow states. Also, <clears throat> now we understand the brain formula, those flow states are being practiced by a lot of different groups, like um, the, some of the elite executives at Google put themselves in flow states before work. The innovation team at Nike company puts itself in a flow state before they do critical tasks. So all kinds of top performers, peak performers now, are learning how to put themselves in these flow states and then live their lives or at least do their, their performance, performances like, like sports. Uh, a lot of Olympians are, are in flow and have learned to evoke flow states. So what, what, I rec- what I want people to learn to do is learn to induce those states and then get used to living their lives in flow. When you're in flow, you're also in oneness with everyone else who's in flow. So you have a sense of unity and a sense of power that comes from that, that big connection in this big universal energy and information field. So it's, it's a powerful state to live your life in. Well, very nice. I like that. Well, so what about the just the average guy, just the the person that says, well, you know, I'm just, I'm just a this or I'm just a that, where they don't, you know, they see their, their lives as mundane, that there's nothing really prominent that they can point their finger at in their life, and uh, perhaps they're just getting by. I mean, what would you tell them about their, their potential and um, um, how they how they are indeed the creators of, of their future. Yeah, and many people do live very small lives and express only a tiny fraction of their potential. What I hope to do with my book, Mind to Matter, is inspire people to seeing that they're far more than the ordinary people they think they are, that ordinary people can do extraordinary things when they enter these kinds of states and that they can enter them by choice. So I really wanted to inspire people, Les, with a book to really challenge those limited beliefs about who you are and what you can be. People doing this not only get a lot healthier, they get a lot smarter. So suddenly you can figure out how to solve the problems in your life. You can figure out how to have a better marriage, how to relate better to your kids, how to excel in your workplace. It really changes your life. So you may begin as an ordinary person, but if you just do these few simple things, gradually you start to claim more and more of your potential and now, rather than living at 10% of your potential, 15% of your potential, you're now living at 35, 40, 50, 70% of your potential. I can tell you, when I began to do these things, I was, 40, I was 45 years old before I really figured this out. I wish I'd figured it out at 25, but I wrote the book, 25-year-olds <laughs> can do it when they're 25, and everything changed for me, and, and everything can change for those who, who learn to induce these states. So there, there is no such thing as an ordinary person. We're, we're born extraordinary. Kids believe they're extraordinary. And if we can just return to the sense of play, to the sense of creativity and exuberance we had when we were three and four and five and carry that out, we can have playful, loving, joyful, exuberant, creative lives where every day 
is just play. You tune into the universe. You say to that universe, what amazing synchronicities will you bring today? And you live your entire existence in that process of play. Wonderful. Well, um, we're coming to the end of the show. Tell our audience how they can get your book. It is on Barnes & Noble, Amazon, Indigo, everywhere. It's, it's available. It's, a, it's become a huge bestseller with uh, people discussing the book and, and forming uh, discussion groups about to do, to do the book, masterminds around the book. It's really become a phenomenon. And there's, the best place to get the book in one, in one place is mindmatter.info. That's my website where I have all the live events. I have lists of free things you can do and get and download. So mindtomatter.info, not .com or .org, but .info, mindtomatter.info is where you can click through the live events and see where I'm appearing. In the next few weeks and months, you can download a couple of free chapters, get a whole bunch of other resources, get the meditations. All of that is at mindtomatter.info. Well, Dawson, I want to thank you for being our guest tonight. It's been it's been such a pleasure having this conversation with you. I love the passion that you have, and uh, uh, you walk your talk. Um, it's been such a delight having you on the show. Let's, let's go. We'll change the world together, starting with ourselves. I like that. We've been talking to Dr. Dawson Church, and the topic tonight is his latest book, Mind to Matter. You can learn more about Dr. Dawson Church at um, mindtomatter.info. I I really like the book. I uh, I found it very compelling, and uh, it it's really a fun read. It, it's well written. Um, I recommend it. It's uh, our human potential is. I I suggest to you that. If you practice every single day expanding your ability to trust your potential, to hone your potential, to grow your potential, you could never exhaust it. In other words, you could expand today and then wake up tomorrow and expand even more tomorrow and do it again over and over for the rest of your life, and you would never run out of opportunity to expand who you are. It's it's such a powerful it's such a powerful thing with human consciousness. You have human consciousness. You're spending it to listen to the show, and and yet to take it and and to get clear. I think clarity really helps to when you when you don't know what you want, you don't know when you have it. You don't know which way to go to get it because you don't know to take. To take time and daydream, just daydream, what would be cool for my life? I mean, some people it might be going to libraries and reading books, but other people it would be entering motorcycle races across the desert. It's not the same for any two people. That's why you have to figure it out for yourself. I can't tell you what to think or believe or how to feel. That'd be That'd be my projection. I'm not going to do that. But when you take the time to figure out what you prefer, then once you get clarity with that, then like we've talked about tonight, you can put intention behind it and come into coherence and find that space of flow and day after day to put 
put effort to that, at some point you're going to start to trust it. And when you trust it, then the power goes up considerably. Hey, I'm your host, Les Jensen. It's always my pleasure to bring you episodes that awaken the power in you. We're going to resolve our human condition by human beings showing up in more powerful ways. Hey, thanks for joining us tonight. Until next time, thanks for listening. This has been a New Human Living Radio broadcast. To bring your soul's inspiration into effect and live your life wide open. Check out our host, Les Jensen's latest book, Citizen King, The New Age of Power, at newhumanliving.com. Thanks for listening.